Welcome in to a bonus episode of the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Fries, director of published content here at broadwaysportsmedia.com. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Real quick, before I explain what this episode is about to be about, have to apologize. Said on our Friday show last week that we would be back on Monday morning, and then we weren't. Totally lied to you. That's on me. We're still trying to kind of nail down what our off-season schedule on the show is going to look like, and I believe that this is going to be the last Wednesday episode on this feed for the next five or six weeks at least until we get into training camp in late July and into August. So we'll be doing Monday morning's first thing and Friday morning's first thing on this podcast feed or on YouTube, wherever you watch or consume the show. We're going to do a number of those shows live, so I think on a typical week, our Friday morning show will be recorded at some point on Thursdays live. If you want to tune in, interact with the show, ask questions, submit your comments, just hang out, all of that stuff. So keep an eye out on Thursdays for live shows. And then I think most Monday shows will be pre-recorded, but might have a handful of live ones in there here and there if an opportunity presents itself to us. But the, the hard and fast rule, every Monday morning and Friday morning when you wake up, there should be a new episode of the Hot Read Podcast waiting for you in your inbox until we get to training camp. And then, who knows, we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about. Can't wait for that. Just a few weeks away. Now, today's show is a bonus episode, and uh, it's actually going to be snippets of another podcast that I did this week with a guy that if you're familiar with this show, you know him well. You know that I regard him very highly and consider him not just a peer but a friend, it's Stoney Keeley over at the So Bros Network, and uh, in particular, the show that we did earlier this week was his show on So Bros, the unofficial Titans podcast, where he had me on, and we talked about uh, a lot about me, frankly, um, just about where I came from, how I got into sports media, how I got some of the connections that I have with the team and with folks in the industry, um, and, and how, as a, a relatively young guy, I have forged my path through the sports media market here in Nashville. And then we dive into the, the back half of the episode is a lot of um, discussion around the Titans, but kind of from a philosophy standpoint, the way that we like to think about football, the way that we like to think about sports, things that we think in in uh, fan circles and in media circles, we disagree with just the, the fundamental ways that people look at sports, um, some things that we think people underrate or overrate, a really interesting and different conversation that I think you'll really enjoy. So really the point of this episode on this feed is to encourage you to go over and not just subscribe to the Unofficial Titans podcast, but listen to my episode where you can get the full thing. Just going to have two different topics, clips from that show on, on this feed, on this episode you're currently listening to. So if you want the full thing, shoot, just stop this right now and go over, search the Unofficial Titans podcast. You'll find it over there on the Sobros Network, wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to the full hour that Stoney and I did. Um, and, and I think, it, listen, I, I, there's a good bit in there about me. So if you couldn't give a, a flying flip to keep it chill for the kids that may be listening, uh, I get that. Listen, I, you know, I, I may just be some dude to you um, because I am just some dude, and if you couldn't care a lick about my life, I completely understand that. So listen to the back half of the episode because it's, it's a lot about – Football, NFL, sports philosophy, 
being a, a fan versus being a media member, stuff like that that I think you'll find really fascinating. It's a high-level conversation. All right, that's enough intro. So uh, here are the two clips from that show, and if you enjoy them, go listen to the full episode over on the Unofficial Titans podcast. Link for that, by the way, should be in the description of this show. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Stony Keeley over at the Sobros Network. Are you from the Nashville area, or are you uh, you a yes. transplant? No, I am an I'm a one of the the Nashville native unicorns here. Oh man, in town. rare air, rare, rare air. Um, I mean, it's it's one of those things. You like, you know, I, I say I'm from Nashville. I was born in Franklin, grew up in the Brentwood area. So you know. If you're from see, Nashville, I'm not a downtown Nashville guy, but who is? You know what I mean? Well, see, I, I'm kind of I know some people are wired this way, where if you're not like if you don't live within city limits or you weren't born within city limits, you're not from Nashville. But I'm 36. I'm, I'm like two weeks away from turning 37 years old. I grew up in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, when there wasn't shit to do in Mount Juliet, Tennessee. This was before Nashville was what it is today. If we wanted to do anything at all, we had to drive 30 minutes to Nashville. Yep. So I'm like, well, you just tell people like you're from Nashville, you're yep. from Nashville. It's good enough. So yep. I, I count Franklin and Brentwood. I know there are probably people listening to this podcast that are like, oh God, these guys need to shut the hell up. They're fake Nashvillians. <laughs> and I would say, uh, no wrong. Well, so, I would argue the vast majority of people in Nashville are far more fake than we are. Fair um, enough. So because they literally <laughs> aren't from around here. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. Right. So then have you always wanted to be in sports media as a writer, podcaster? Not even close. No, no not even oh, not man. even close. I I did two years at Belmont University as a music major. OK, um, which people wouldn't expect. But I my entire life growing up, I, I, I was a pretty well-rounded kid growing up uh, yeah. I was I definitely was into sports um, my dad my dad is one of the the founder founding um, season ticket members of the Titans so like I grew up going to Titans games and Preds games and nice um, you know always always enjoyed sports NFL fo and football were always my primary interest um, and but, but I was also I mean I, like I played football until I got to middle school I played basketball but only recreationally not for like school teams not super competitive never travel or anything i played baseball for years but also recreationally um i'm really into golf but you know also rec recreationally so like i never in middle school or high school was was a sports guy right never the jock at school friends with a lot of jocks um but i was also friends with a lot of uh nerds and a lot of artists because i was primarily in the in the nerd artist community i i was um I was my prime, like my thing, if you were to, if you went to school with me in high school and you had to describe Easton freeze, like, what is he into? He's the, he's the guy that sings. He's the singer. He's, um, he's the, yeah. he's the tenor. He's the lead tenor one in choir. Um, he's the lead in the musical every year. That, that was my thing. He loves to act. He's hanging out there all the time. That, that was my thing. So I had a really eclectic group of friends that was, was really, um, really well mixed between like nerds and jocks and, artists um and i was always i was always the the one guy in the like artist circles that wasn't i, I didn't really hang out with those folks outside like I, I did but they weren't my primary friend group my primary friend group was kind of separate so i i prided myself on being friends with kind of everybody but my my thing was music my thing was acting and i wanted to be a i wanted to be a singer i wanted so i wanted to 
make a living singing in some capacity, whether that was as a solo artist or a, um, like a session singer or joining a group or whatever that was. And then I did two years of, I was a commercial voice major at Belmont and now, did a, hold on a second, a commercial voice major. Yes. So and what is, what is that? So commercial denoting the difference between commercial music and classical music. So you can go and be a classical major and, you know, sing opera all the time. Okay. Um, I was commercial music. So everything that's not classical, you know, pop, rock, country, all Easy that enough. Stuff. Yeah. And then voice, what, what's your instrument? There were commercial guitar majors, commercial piano majors. You know, I was commercial voice. I was, which just denotes you as the guy that's into the, the guy that uh, is not sophisticated enough to be in the classical music and not talented enough to know an instrument. He's just here to sing. That was me. Right. <laughs> All right. And um, so I did that, made a lot of friends. A lot of my friends are still from from school there. And then I was planning on changing my, you know, in college, I loved music and everything, but the more that I got into it, maybe it was, it was, it was kind of one of those things where once a hobby of yours or a, like a passion project of yours becomes a job, you know, you, you realize that there's a big difference between those things. And so when I, when I quit studying music, people were like, are you just not into it anymore? You don't want to do it anymore. You know, no, definitely not. I, I, I realized that music was for me, but music school was definitely not for me. I was always the guy who, um, I mean, not to just throw my arm out, patting myself on the back, but I'm a really talented singer, but I was always, it was always just natural ability. It like my technical chops didn't exist, um, partially because I didn't care and partially because it's just not the way my brain works, like sheet music and, uh, arranging and transposing and all that stuff stuff that actually talented musicians do and a lot of my friends that are talented musicians do is Chinese to me man it's as foreign to me as it is to most everybody and I did ye two years of my life trying to figure it out and I sort of figured it out and I just couldn't be any more bored by it and also couldn't be any more bad at it as compared to the like I looked around and I'm not a delusional person I'm like this is, clearly is not my thing um, <laughs> these people on my left and right are so much better at this than me and so I enjoyed like getting by just as like a talented guy who had a nice instrument and was like nice to have around, but that was kind of limiting. And then I also realized that, you know, you go to music school and you realize that the only way you can have a quote unquote successful career in music is if you can't do anything else. And I don't mean can't like literally do anything else if like you have no other skills, but you have to be the kind of person, just the way that you are wired, you have to do music because professional musicians don't make any money. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. It's, it's a dead end in terms of like, not, not no money, but it is, you know, there's a reason why um, musical theater major kids and, and music major kids, parents are always like the trope on TV shows is like, are you sure you don't want to be a doctor? Like, you know, it's not the safest <laughs> career path. Um, yeah. And so it just, I realized I just wasn't one of those guys. Again, like all my friends around me, it's just like they ate, slept and breathed music. And it was one of those things, maybe it was, and I didn't go to a small, I went to Brentwood High School here in, in uh, the Nashville area, big school, Williamson County, big school, you know, network, big county of schools. So like, it's yeah. not one of those things where I felt like I was in a, a you know, a, a bubble by any means in terms of other really like there was a lot of kids that I knew that were really talented so it wasn't one of those things and if you're in music school you realize quickly there are a handful of folks that you know they went to school in coffee county that you know they were the only high school in a in a hundred mile range and they just were the the one 
person that could carry a tune in a bucket at that school. And so the, from their perspective, they were a really talented musician. And then they, you know, you get to, it's, it's kind of like dudes, it's, I mean, to, to relate it to folks on this show, it's the dudes coming out of Ferris State who just absolutely annihilate. And then they get to the NFL and it's like, oh, baby, this is a different, totally yeah. different area code, not even on the same level of competition. It wasn't like that for me, um, but I did get there and, and just realize, like, while in high school, I was that dude. It, it, I was not that dude compared to the best of the best. Um, and I just I was I, I wasn't versatile enough for it. So and I also I just did it ultimately it came down to I, I didn't love it enough to toil in it my whole life. I, I had other interests and talents. And so then I decided I was going to change my major to broadcast and journalism in the uh, winter of 2020. And I'd like started to do the paperwork and stuff. And then the world fell apart. Right. And so then I experienced half of a semester online at Belmont and got just enough of a taste to realize how horrible they were at doing online school. Mm. Um, and then I realized they still wanted 50 grand from me and my parents to keep doing online school. And I said, <laughs> absolutely not. And so then I just like my plan was, OK, I'll go into journalism broadcast. I want I don't want to start that online anyways. I want to start fresh. So I'll just finish my gen eds at community, like a community college online in, in the fall. I'll work and I'll finish my gen eds and be ready to rock and roll with my major in the spring. By the spring, things hadn't changed, right? Things were still crazy. The world was still putting itself back together. And by then I just got kind of sick of waiting. Um, I didn't have any more gen eds to do. And I didn't want to spend $50,000 on a, a crappy online education to, uh, in a new major that I wasn't familiar with. So I just started kind of doing it myself. Um, and, and I started researching, I, I, at one point I made a running list on my phone of all the people in sports media that I looked up to or who I saw and was like, I would love to do what they're doing one day, or I think I could do what they're doing one day. And then I would just get home and like take one person a day and just Wikipedia them and just figure out how'd they get to where they are, right? Trying to figure out if there's any common thread of a path to success and what the old, the, the, really number one thing that I found out about a lot of these guys was a ton of people in sports media either. And I feel, I feel like it's a 30, 33, 33, 33 split. Like a, a, one third of sports media went to journalism school. They have mm -hmm. a degree or that, you know, they have an English degree. They have something in terms of a formal education in this background. The other third are people that dropped out of school early to just go do what they're doing. You know, like the Colin Cowards of the world going to school for bro bro broadcast and journalism for like two months, I think. And then he left school to go call um, minor league baseball games in Las Vegas. Um, and wow. then, the, and then the other third were, were people that had a, a degree in something completely unrelated to what they were doing. And so I realized if, if two thirds of this, this market that I would like to be a part of, didn't spend a bunch of money getting a formal education to do it. I don't want to, like, I would love to know if I, I would, I would love to only do this and spend all the money and time on it. If I know I have to. <laughs> yeah. And so I said, you know what, I'll take a semester. I'll take this spring and I'll just see if I can figure out if I have to or not. So I was still working another, you know, unrelated day job um, and, and started to dip my toe into sports media. And then it's kind of grown from there. So what was it about, broadcast journalism that that made you feel comfortable to make that switch from music 
that you just you, you're not looking back at this point there's no regrets you're obviously comfortable with what you do you're good at what you do you're confident what is it about this business that kind of drew you away from that i'd say the number one thing is the passion because there are a number of things i would say that i would say that broadcast and journalism and media in general is a, a much safer more defined career path than music but in, in the grand scheme of career paths, there's still like it's still a lot of hustle culture, freelance work, sure. um, volatility in job markets, a lot of turnover. You have to be you have to be really versatile, right? It's not like you can be an accountant and be really good at one thing and then you have it. You're, you're on salary and you just your your job is kind of set it and forget it for years. Which there are elements of that which I'm sure you understand that is is enviable. Like I've got one of my my best friend in the world. He, um, he went, we, we graduated from Brentwood high school together and he went to Mississippi state to study engineering. And he was a football player, uh, in high school, very much actually a talented football player. Unlike, unlike me. And that's why he played on the school team and, and everything. But, um, but, but he, you know, he's not a nerd, but like, he's not somebody that just like eats and breathes engineering. It's just, he's good at it. He, he finds it fascinating. Uh, he does have some passion for it. And like, I'm sure he would tell you it's not the most, it's not the most fun job in the world sitting at a desk and, and designing stuff. I mean, he's, he's a, part of his job is like doing NFL stadiums and stuff. Like he's, he's probably going to have a hand in doing designs and stuff for the Titans new stadium, for example, um, doing different, figuring out the math on all of that. Right. Um, so there, there are things about his career path that like I envy, but I'm sure there are things about mine that he envies as well. Um, and so I think I'd say the passion is the number one thing, because I do think that even though this is a more secure uh, career path to have chosen than music, you, you still have to really enjoy what you do, I think, to make it in sports media, because you, it is, there that. is an element of just being being better than the other guy, hustling more than the other guy, um, being more consistent than the, than the other guy, being willing to have your have your uh, foot in like seven different doors and do seven different things and wear seven different hats and learn um, elements of the job that you really don't have any interest in. Right. Mm -hmm. But, but I, I really haven't run into an element of it yet that I hate or I'm, I'm miserable at. I'm sure that there is something that I'm just dreadful at that I've not found yet. Um, but I enjoy it. I feel like I'm good at it. And that's, that's ultimately why I chose to do it. Do we have any clips or MP3s of you singing on the internet that we can find, or have you buried all that? Stuff? Yes, no, I've not buried them. Um, if you want to see me sing on my Instagram, there's some if you scroll far enough from like okay. talent, talent shows and all stuff. Right. If you want to see me sing a song as Prince Eric as a junior in high school in our production of The Little Mermaid. There's a there's a nice studio recording version of that on on I think my old personal YouTube account. I think if that? you just search Easton Freeze, you'll find it. And it ha it did really well. It was my first viral moment as a child. I think I had like thirty something thousand odd views on that. Um, and it's every I guess it's just every high school production Little Mermaid ever just used us as their practice track is what I think <laughs> happened because for, it's it's like seven years old at this point and it still is getting good views. I think just every new crop of young child comes along and is like. Oh yeah, I'm going to I'm going to use this as as my practice track so I can learn to be Sebastian or whatever it is. So, but yes, Man. they exist. I would the one thing I I forgot to mention on your last question. Sorry to backtrack. But you you All good. You you mentioned why I chose journalism and broadcast. The primary thing is passion, but I also think that 
my upbringing maybe uniquely positioned me to to be good at this a little bit um, because a lot of this is being comfortable speaking, being comfortable as a performer, sure. being comfortable with you know, your people skills and in 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 uh, the, the acting space, like that's all 101 stuff, right? Um, so I, I have a, a lot of experience public speaking and um, I also am a, a pretty decent, we've always been a pretty good writer. Um, so I, that, that kind of goes along with it. And then I, again, I, even though I wasn't in sports, I've always been, I, I've always been well-rounded enough and been around enough friends that are big sports heads to, to love sports and the NFL in particular, I, I could never go into sports media. Well, at this point I could, because I've, the more, the more I've gotten into it over the past, like four years, the more I've been just engrossed by all sports, but I could never have started in anything but the NFL because I just didn't care or know nearly enough about any other sport to do. So what's your favorite part of the job? That's a great question. My favorite part is I'd, I'd say it's a mix of the people that I've met and the, the change in perspective. There's, mm. there's so many mm -hmm. awesome folks that I've met in the past even year that I would never have guessed I'd have a relationship with or would know my name or ever get to even speak to, um, you know, the fact that, that I'm relatively certain Mike Vrabel would recognize my face walking down the street. If you'd have told me three sick. years ago, strange, right? Super weird. <laughs> yeah. um, the fact that, and I've never really been a starstruck kind of guy. There's been, I can count on one hand the number of times where I've been left speechless by somebody because I'm just not, I'm not really like a, a stand in that way. Like I'm not somebody that just mm -hmm. obsesses over a person. I like what people do and I love to give them credit for what they do, but like I'm more concerned with what people are famous for than the fact that they are famous. Um, but at the same time, like there still is that element of being comfortable. It's one thing to be starstruck by somebody, another to just be comfortable around them. And yeah. it's so cool. You know, I grew up reading, reading guys like Paul Kaharski and, and Teresa Walker and more recently Teron Davenport and John Glennon for years and years. And, um, to have a relationship with those guys to, to, you know, be around them often to consider a lot of those guys, friends of mine. Uh, at the work, you know, at, at least colleagues of mine, super cool. And then also, I'd say the perspective change. I'm sure you get this a little bit, Stony, but and, and maybe maybe it just is my approach to media is maybe a little bit different than some um, who are more fan oriented, which I love. But my, I, I just choose to try to be as objective as possible. And it, it, in in sports media, there is even if you are going to be a, a fanalist or somebody that is you know running fan content there still has to be some level of objectivity for anybody to take you seriously. Right. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and so even, even guys like, you know, you or Zach or Mike, who are the best examples of, I'd say fanalists in this space that are ac actually, I, I would still actually trust their, you know, there's a big difference between folks who I trust their opinion to be objective on this and the folks who, who I won't name on social media, you run into <laughs> and you're just like, you know, it's always yeah. going to be, rose tinted glasses for whatever it is that they love. Right. And so I, I choose to try to be as objective as possible. And in, in new media, shout out Draymond Green for the new media uh, coinage. Now we, we can talk about this new media wave, you know, the podcasters, the yeah. bloggers, the, the YouTubers, the TikTokers. like 
I would lump myself in with with them a good bit because I'm not, you know, I'm not a Joe Rexford or Paul Kaharski, a traditional beat writer. I respect what they do to no end. That's just that's just not you know, it's not my it's not my niche. It's not my lane. You know, I leave that lane mm-hmm. to them, and I'm I'm in a different lane. You're in a different lane, right? So I, I do I do love being able to have kind of a, a schism split personality because like I, people ask me like. Are, you know, dudes like Buck Rising and Paul Kaharski all the time are having to defend themselves. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, quit talking about this team. Like, it's my team. Or like, I'm a fan. Like, I'm not, I'm not a fan of your team. You know, and if that's the way you want to go about media, fine. If it's true, fine. You know, like, if I go get a job mm-hmm. covering the Seattle Seahawks, like, I will say that to folks and it won't be a thing that I'm saying because I'm trying to, like, maintain right. my... I, some folks do it and they're, you can tell they're just trying to maintain their objectivity. Some you can tell it's literally just true that they are not a fan of this team. Like, like, mm-hmm. sorry, not, not mm-hmm. this is just not my team. My team's a different team. Um, and so, but like, I people ask me, are you a fan of the team? And the answer is, yeah, I am because I I, I grew up here. I, again, I've been going to, to Titans games and have had Titans jerseys since I was in diapers. So, yes, a hundred percent. But I also believe that we're seeing more and more dudes like you know Nick Wright, who's amazing sports media personality rising up the ranks to nearly the very top. And he's like the biggest chiefs fan in the world. Mina Kimes, same deal, massive Seahawks fan, right? Like the people are starting to, I think that the consumers of sports media are becoming more and more accepting of the fact that, yeah, a lot like these people that talk about sports, they have rooting interests in it, just like you do. And maybe the reason it's becoming more accepted is because folks have finally come around to the idea of, you know, no matter how much Jim tells me he's not a fan of the sport at all, I just don't, I don't buy it. I think he's lying. And I think for a long time, a lot of reporters did lie to not, you know, there's that yeah. taboo of like, you don't want to be clapping in the press box. You don't want to right. be portrayed as yeah. like the company man. Um, but there's something, there's something freeing, at least to me. And the reason that I respect a lot of folks who um, in sports media are just open about their, their priors, their biases, their rooting interests when that honesty is on the table, I find you more compelling and believable a lot of the time than folks who swear up and down that they don't have a rooting interest, but you can tell based on their actions, based on the way that they, they carry themselves. Like you're lying, bro. I don't believe you. I don't believe you that you, that you don't care. Um, So yeah, I, I enjoy that element of it. And I, but I, I do like that. This is all a very super roundabout way of getting to the point of when you're in the sports media space, it makes the sad times way more tolerable, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because when, like, whereas in the past, a really uh, just a beat down you know, that Eagles game last year where the Titans just get Ooh. beat down, right? Rough one. F- five years ago, when I wasn't in sports media and I was, was just watching as a fan, that would have ruined my day. Like, I not literally ruined, but like, I'd have been in a, a sour mood the rest of the day. I would not have been very happy, yeah. as is the case with all fans, right? Now, um, I can kind of just choose to flip that switch off and go into work mode and be like, let me ob- objectively evaluate what's going on here as, as a journalist, as a, as a objective third party, as an analyst. And I, and I can just ignore those fan feelings within me because they're not important right now. And then when they win, I can, I can just get the best of both worlds. Right. I can just, I can there just enjoy go. the good, the good times too, I guess. So, man, it's, um, it's wild thinking about this you to um to your point a second ago i i feel like there is a connection that is forged between uh, a consumer and producer whenever the consumer knows 
you're trustworthy in the sense that you are transparent and authentic. I feel like that really resonates with readers, podcast listeners, uh, to a point where it is kind of that, like, you don't have to put up these facades anymore. We get Mm -hmm. it. And I feel like that's how you forge more genuine connections with the people that are taking in your your product. Yes. Also, um, my philosophy, and I've, I've shared this with our listeners plenty of times before I've tweeted it. it, it's out there on the internet, but I know that I am always going to be a fan of the Tennessee Titans. So I, I'm not someone that if they have a couple of losing seasons, I'm going to, you know, abandon ship or anything like that. Right. So when you frame it within that context, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be waving your pom-poms like a cheerleader you can be objective because it's not like you're going to walk away from the team altogether and that also kind of helps with the hurt because i just know like (laughs) they got their ass beat by the eagles today but you know what i'm not going to stop being a fan so on to the next one and here's the other thing like even if tomorrow i get a job opportunity to go cover the seattle seahawks and i go up to seattle and that's my new job yeah I will tell people and it will be true. I am not a Seahawks fan because I am not. And I Mm -hmm. I don't think I ever will be. But at the same time, even if you are not one of those people, I think what what there's this unspoken tension in the consumer producer relationship, because even if it's true that you are not a fan of this team. If you're not a moron, you're still rooting for him to be successful because success means relevance, right? Like I I remember when the Titans went on their AFC championship run and listening to a number of live streams that Paul Kaharski did at the time. And people were like, is Paul starting to root for this team? And he was explaining, he had to explain a number of times, like, (laughs) no, I'm just getting to cover a team. And like my, what I produce is super relevant right now. And it's rare that I get to talk about a team like this in a chance. You know what I mean? Like, remember that. Yeah. Like if I go, if I go to Seattle, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be rooting for them from a rooting interest, but from a, from a professional standpoint, I want them to be as good as possible because sure. if they suck, no one cares what I'm doing. <laughs> exactly. No one cares. Exactly. And, and also not only do no, does nobody care. And I like, I don't make money off of the content. Also who wants to be the guy that's forced to sit in the press box to watch t- the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all, all the year this year. Oh, right. Man. Like who that's not fun. No, ask, no you not. know, ask anybody who had to watch the last seven games of the Titans last year. It wasn't fun. It's not, Dude, enjoy- I- it's not enjoyable. I started writing about this team the year it was the um, my second year writing was the year that they hired Ken Wisenhunt and I had to cover the the team. Right. (laughs) I am sick in the head. Absolutely. Yeah. Remember writing, you know, thousand word essays on Marqueston Huff being the future of the safety position, you know, like, right. I've been there was, as we all know, it is. um, It's it's harder to get motivated because you just know no one's going to give a shit. It doesn't matter. You know, what's going on does not, when your team is, is Mm -hmm. three and seven, it, it, like it matters to the sickos and like roster building in the future and everything, but largely it does not matter. And it's relevance is the name of the game. Entertainment and relevance is the name of the game. Um, I also think that, and because there are a number of folks that are more like traditional media folks, older folks, who mm-hmm. have interacted with me or alluded to with me or mentioned to me like, well, how am I supposed to take you seriously if I know that you grew up a fan of this team and you're objectively covering the team? Like, how can I take your work seriously? And I just think that's a pretty, 
reductionist way of redu- reductive is sure. what I'm looking for. Pretty reductive way of looking at of, at sports analyses. Um, like I think I think that the work should speak for itself. Like again, examples Bingo. like like Mina Kimes. Go listen to her talk about the Seahawks. You can tell she's a fan. And also, I dare you if you are if you consider yourself an objective observer of the Seahawks to listen to anything she says and say, well, that's that is. That's a delusional Seahawks fan take. She wouldn't say that if she wasn't a fan of the team. You know, she, no, man, she's capable because she's a, she's an intelligent person. She's an adult. She's able to separate being a fan and being a professional covering the team. Yep. And, and what her actual analysis, what she's actually saying and doing and putting out there, the content should speak for itself, not the background of the person. You know what I mean? Like if I, if I, if you know I'm a Titans fan and I write a 5,000 word op-ed on the Houston Texans and you're a Texans fan, you could look at that and say, well, why would I bother reading this when I know that the person who wrote it has a rooting interest against this team? Mm-hmm. Or you can read it and then be like, wow, this guy's a fan of the Titans. And yet this was a very fair, detailed, intelligent analysis of where my team was. Turns out you don't have to be a fan of this team to know what's going on. And to be able to fairly evaluate what is going on with the team, you know, be, be a, be a, a fair um, arbiter of, of the facts. And that's what I try my best to do. And I feel like anybody that actually follows my content, I mean, I laugh off the folks that occasionally call me, you know, I say something about my, my take on something isn't negative and folks are, the sky is falling. Um, it's typically when the sky is falling, I, I'm somebody that's like, let's pump the brakes. I, I try to stay as even in my analysis as possible, which is counter to what, the ethos of being a fan is right. It's all highs and lows, peaks and valleys, panic and delight. And so whenever I'm being positive in relation to the average person, I get the occasional, like, well, are you covering the team? Are you a fan of the team? And it's like, I just laugh that off because if you, I I am confident if, if nothing else that my work, if you are truly familiar with my work, then you know that, my personal opinions on the Titans or on another team really don't have any say over my analysis of the team. That's the number one thing I pride myself on being able to do. And I've had 10 people tell me I'm good at it for everyone that tells me I'm bad at it. So I I'm pretty confident in saying that's just the way that I am. And if you, if you think I'm not, then I, then you're wrong. You can, you're, you're welcome to be wrong, but you're wrong. All right, that's going to do it for today on the Hot Read Podcast. But again, like I said, if you enjoyed those clips, go listen to the full episode over on the Sobros Network on the unofficial Titans podcast. Stoney is awesome. He's the man. I love chatting with him. And we've got a lot more of our conversation that I left out of this bonus episode that you got to go over there and subscribe and listen in order to get the rest of it. Again, the link for that should be in the description of this podcast. JT, producer JT, and I will be back on Friday of this week. First thing Friday, you'll have an episode. We may go live with that episode on Thursday afternoon at some point, but we'll be breaking down the Titans OTAs number three, Electric Boogaloo style, the third and final OTA session for the Titans before they take a couple weeks off and get ready for training camp in late July. A lot to dive into there. I'm actually recording this bit of the show right after coming back from OTAs on Wednesday. So I've got a number of ideas floating around in my head that I can't wait to share with you, but you'll have to wait another 24 to 48 hours to get that. Make sure to tune in on Friday for that episode. And then again, starting next week, Monday mornings and Friday mornings, every single 
week through the summer until we get to the training camp portion of our schedule. Appreciate everybody tuning in. Have a great rest of your work week. We'll talk to you on Friday morning.